last half of the book, the last third of the book, chapter 40 through 66, I said both for one thing. Both kind of suffering service. Jesus Christ is suffering one. Who will ultimately suffer death and, and, and on the cross. It's full of objects of suffering service. In chapter 1 through 39, Christ really focused on Israel's darkness, if I put it that way. Israel's absolute failure. Israel's absolute rebellion. And the coming judgment in light of it. And yet, in the middle of it, over and over and over again, what the percolates up is It's beautiful. It has a stunning book in that chapter. Chapter 1 through 4 and 39 talks about this need for redeemer. It's shown very clearly the need for redeemer. Chapter 30, chapter 40 through 66 shows how the redeemer is going to in the middle of all this, the first chapter, you come to chapter 9. In chapter 8, the darkness that is founded in Israel during Isaiah's time is summed up in the coming judgment. And the coming immediate judgment is the judgment of the Assyrians. God's going to bring the Assyrians to judge his people. Now, just by way of background story, the idea of judging by the Assyrians is in that day one of the worst things that could possibly happen. Out of all of the people groups of the world at that day, probably the most barbaric people were the Assyrians. You couldn't get much more horrifying than the Assyrians. If you fell victim to the Assyrians in war, you could not be a worship. The Assyrians actually found grotesque pleasure in abusing their captives. They found pleasure in taking a captive and skinning them alive, for example. One thing they love to do. You've heard me talk about it before, they, they, they love taking them. And killing them while alive on poles, leaving them for life to live in the fire. They enjoy doing it. There's not just short term punishment or pain that they inflict. They had very unique ways to go through today of keeping people alive for months. Something they like to do. They don't want to people. Isaiah stands up before the people and prophesies for God, giving them God's word and tells them to be serious. And they will destroy And they will take the action. Scary Which actually came true. Ten northern tribes were taken captive by the Assyrians and disappeared. They ceased to exist. The only way any of the ten northern tribes survived is some of them to be But the ten northern tribes ceased to exist. They never returned, unlike the two southern tribes that went to Babylon and then were returned to Babylon. Dark time. You think our times are dark? Remember, I started out by saying it's dark if I remember. My mind was This is dark. But in the midst of the darkness and gloom, in the midst of the hopelessness, there's a message of hope from God. Let's get here. Starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for who for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the 
land beyond the Jordan to Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shown, has light shown. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy and the joy of harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor to have broken on the day of day. For every boot of the trampling warrior and the bad tomb, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. To us, the child is born. To us, the son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, and to uphold it with justice. Righteousness from this time forth, there are more. Zeal, the Lord of hosts, The interesting text in a variety of ways, because it seems to me as I read this text that the text is structured in a way that it really focuses on several different time frames. First of all, the obvious time frame it's focusing on is when. Isaiah's day. It's addressing chapter 8 and, 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 and the hopelessness of chapter 8 with true hope in Isaiah's day. We're going to get back in just a second. Now, I'd argue in, in 2 through 5, you can really focus on the future and yet future After the final judgment comes, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the, the nation, you have increased the joy. They rejoice before you with joy and harvest. They are glad when they find the spoil. The yoke of his birth and the staff for his shoulder, rod of the oppressor, you have broken them. They have made it. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. Sounds like something that has not yet happened, doesn't it? If you just go to verse 5, every boot, trampling warrior, and battle football, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. Well, that certainly hasn't happened, has it? Ever? When in our history, and I'm talking about America, I'm talking about the whole world, when since the fall has there not been war? Right? Forever. Ever since the fall, there's been war. Unceasingly, somewhere, usually it's plural, not just somewhere, but somewhere, as in many places. <laughs> what is Israel? Which took Israel and themselves across the Verse 2. When has Israel, who walked in darkness, Seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness have on them as the light shone. You can argue Christ's first advent, right? Verse 2. But not in context. Not in verse 2 through 5. 2 through 5, I think, is focused on the second advent. When all this Stuff that you find between two and five take place. Verse three again: You have multiplied the nation; you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. There, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. That has captured. Has it? And the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulders. The rod of the oppressor you have broken as the day of Midian. Now, we do live in a time frame where the, the power of Satan is broken, right? But yet, at the same time, not in the verse 5 way, right? 
Verse 5 way, that's yet to come, isn't it? Where no war anymore, no conflict anymore, no dividing of people anymore, no more death, no more destruction, no more anything, that's yet to come. It is interesting how far the text. What do we see? Is the text described in the past tense primarily, present tense primarily, or future tense primary perspective? What do you see? Well, look at verse 2. What do you see in verse 2? Past, present, or future? It's a past, isn't it? What does it say? The people who walk past tense have seen, that's past tense, with an idea of continuing, have seen what? The great light. Those who dwelt, past tense, in a land of deep, deep darkness on them has shown a great light. It's an idea of past tense and continuing. Verse 3, you what? Have multiplied, right? That sounds like it's happened, doesn't it? Happened. Verse 3 again, you have increased its joy. It sounds like Continually. And then it goes to the present tense. Clearly, they rejoice before you in great joy, and a joy at harvest, as they are glad, present tense, when they divide the spoil. Verse 4 For the yoke is burdened, the staff is shoulder, the rod is oppressor, you have broken. Sounds past tense continuing, doesn't it? Have broken as the day of Midian. For every gulf, boot, of the trampling warrior and his basketball, and every guard rolled in blood. Now we get the future, right? Will be burned as fuel for the fire. But for the most part, what do we have in that whole text? You got past tense. Only in the very last statement do you find future tense. It's past tense with some present tense rejoicing or response, right? But yet, wait a second, it's not past tense. He's primarily talking about something yet to come. And they're not rejoicing, are they? They're under what? The very real prophetic threat of the Assyrians soon to come. So at this point in time, there is how much rejoicing going on in Israel in this storyline? None. What is there? Bread, gloom, hopelessness. Why does God choose that's the You know why? Because God is accomplished making a promise to you. And if God made a promise, God has purposes It may not come true in our reality, in our experience as we were, but it's not about us. We don't start with us, do we? From God's perspective, if God declares it, it's as if it has <coughs> Because if you take the thing, it is perfect time is going to happen. God argued 2 through 5 is primarily focused on that time in the book. Verse 6 interesting. Again, we're about 700 or so years before Jesus comes. In the midst of the worst doom and gloom you could possibly imagine, you will be judged by the Assyrians, and they will destroy you. If you were right. They will. And you do nothing about it. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. Lots of sons are there. Just stop right for a second. There are reference one thing here. Verse 6, to us the child is born, to us the son is given. Again, tenses are important. What is the tense here? Past, present, or future? Present, isn't it? Present. And yet, as I just said, it's going to be another 700 years before Jesus is born in the manger. 
is what the scriptures record as the fulfillment of time, perfect completion. And Isaiah says here, verse 6, for us is a child Son, us again. Confidence that Isaiah is presenting to these Israelites who are facing the horror of intending to is in effect what, what Isaiah is saying, what God is saying to them, it's not ultimately about the intending to It was something much greater than intending to that is, I have made a promise since when? Since when did he start making a promise? Genesis chapter 3. When he began declaring a promise. Shortly after the fall took place, the first communication of God included with that. The redeemer would be Here he says, Present tense, again, going back to the previous verses. I promise it. It's as if it has already happened. In my economy, it already happened. That's what God said. Trust you. Child. It's not letting you get a child. This child is just Absolutely. You know what God is calling through Isaiah to these people? You know, he's really, this is like an evangelistic message that Isaiah is giving to the people. He's saying to them, in the midst of the doom and gloom that you face, in the midst of the nightmare that you're facing, in the midst of the horror, the impending horror that is absolutely unimaginable to anybody who's not as corrupt as serious. Look to this one. Because this one is going to do what we talk about on both sides of the stand. In the midst of what you see, in the midst of the hopelessness, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the tumult and war, look to this one. It's a call to the people. Unto you. Unto you, a child. For, uh, I'm sorry. For to us, a child is born. And who is this son? Well, it goes on. Continuing in 6, all the way through verse 7. For to us a son, uh, sorry, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That is, he will be what? What does that mean? He will be what? Ruler. He will be king. He will be the sovereign. Which initially doesn't give much hope, does it? Right? Okay, let me just ask you to help us out this. How many of you live that are an absolutely righteous government? Anybody? Raise your hand. Right? So this initially doesn't sound very hopeful. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. But then it begins to shift from everything we know. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Start talking to Can I just ask you a question? Can we talk about our government for a second? Just for one second. I'm not giving up the Trump government. You can go back from Trump to Obama to. Bush 2 to Clinton to Bush 1 to Red Wing, who was done. 
we live in a position of experiencing that peace. Why? Because we have peace with God, right? That ultimate conflict has ended for Christ. Now of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it, and unlike anything we've ever experienced before, it will be with absolute justice and what? I can't tell you, but I can't tell him. Like that, This side. This time for him forever. What's he say? End of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal, the passion of the Lord of what? Hosts, which means the Lord of armies, will do this. God with his ultimate force that is unstoppable made this happen. This will be helpful. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and earn peace among those who wish me to please. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. What we have in this what we call the Christmas story. I would submit to you, if you combine Isaiah chapter 9, Luke chapter 2, we must not miss it. We must not miss it. And that is that this Jesus came. And the message that preceded him in Isaiah by 730. And the message that was proclaimed to the is a personal message. What it is, is a personal message to you, a child, to you, a son, to you, this day, the city of David, David, Savior, to you, this message God, is personal. And why is that so important? Because the idea of this personal message is that in order to be in a position of realizing Isaiah chapter 9, what came before and what came immediately after, at the beginning of verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, that personal in order for us to realize this amazingly perfect of justice and righteousness and no tumult, no war, no destruction, no division, no fighting, no war, no anything. Must as the message was in Isaiah chapter 9. Look after Jesus walked over We must. And I understand the whole package. Remember when I started off with Isaiah? Isaiah 1 through 39 was all about what? Which time? What was Isaiah 1 through 39 about? Anybody? What's that? Israel, the state they're in, and intermixed within that is what? What's that? The need for a Savior and the promise of the Savior, right? And then in Isaiah 40 through 66, what do we find again? The suffering, the suffering servant, right? We find that that, that promised child, that promised son that was born. Is going to suffer and die. So if we take chapter 2, beginning of verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9, and the statement of Luke chapter 2, let's put it in its context. And the point of this whole story, the point of the whole story that we talked about had the Christmas story. It's not about what you see. It's about what you are saved. Because what you see lies for a long time. What you see is tumult and death and despair and sorrow and pain and eventually death. That's what we see, right? It's a story of our lives. It's a story of our lives. It's not about what we see with the eyes that are on our face. We go and see with our hearts that is revealed by the truth. Do we see Jesus? Do we look to Jesus, the author of the of our faith? Who? Now, Peter 12 doesn't say this, but the entire scriptures have said that. Who came as a child? Was born in the manger. Has humbled himself. What we can't do. 
can serve. Was obedient to the death and then to die and now to exalt him in his kingdom forever. And we are living in that kingdom today. Oh, we don't see it, right? We don't see it, but it's there. And we do, we do, we do see it by our eyes of faith, right? Because no longer by the eyes of faith do I see myself as as opposed to God, as separated from God, an enemy of God. But now I'm what? A child of God. I've been adopted as a son. Why? Because to you, a son has been born. To me, a son has been born. Right? Someday. See, the story of Christmas is not, is it, I mean, did we present it so boldly? It is a first advent thing. And it is, it must be, the Good Friday thing, right? And it must be Easter thing. And it must be, which is probably better said, resurrection thing. It must be a and you look at Jesus Would I submit to you that two things. Number one, as the apostles call Christmas, let us worship. Let us look not at Christmas trees and Christmas presents. And family and turkey and birds of mashed potatoes and yams and everything else that comes in the Let us not listen to Christmas carols. The light And let's remember the truth of But number two is most important. December 26th, 27th, 28th, 9th, 31st, January 1st, January 1st, January 1st, January 1st, January 1st, about remembering the incarnation, about remembering on us, John Ford, about the Son of God, Christmas Day. And the day So we really legitimately cheat and fake and facadish to worship in place during this time frame of that truth and not continuing every other day. I am someone who just moment is Realize that? Oh, it's not the Assyrians, right? Without Christ, it's not the Assyrians, is it? The Assyrians are just a picture, aren't they? Without Christ, without a son being given, a child being born, without that, I am one of the Israelites, as it were. The story of Christmas and the story of Christ And when you read the promise that is the result of to us a son is given, to us a child is born, and we read the result on either side of that, it, it has to evidence itself in us saying what? So what? I don't know what you know. I'm tired of it. Oh, we have little things we want for the right? I understand that. Jim, look, you're looking forward to the, the day, 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 day coming out, right? The family coming out, right? Fortune? 
Absolutely, that's appropriate, right? Absolutely. I bet you're saying I'm looking forward to the time when you're clear and don't want to talk with your injury, right? You're looking forward to aren't you? Yeah, and that's appropriate, isn't it? Jimmy, looking forward to having all your family together tomorrow? <laughs> What's that? Today and tomorrow? There you go. You're looking forward to Absolutely. Appropriately so. That makes sense to me. Can I just ask you a question? How much more appropriate? I'm going to use the How much more should we How much more should we look forward to our healing and our How much more should we look forward to that time when what has been promised comes to its fullest fruition? How much we want?